Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. We are in our fourth and final week of our series, Church Chat. And what we've been doing in this series, we've been looking at different words that we use in church, but we may not necessarily use elsewhere. So we don't have a lot of familiarity with what they mean, but we just say them anyway. Today, our word for today, if you're taking notes, is repent. You can write that down. If you're online, type in the word repent, just so you know that we're all tracking together. And I'm gonna start right in Luke chapter 15 today. Luke chapter 15, verses one through seven. And here's what's happening. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him, to Jesus. They were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, so Jesus is talking to tax collectors and sinners, but the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're also close by listening in at this moment. They began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So basically what they're saying is Jesus is hanging out with all of the wrong kind of people. He shouldn't be with those people people. We don't want him hanging out with those people. So Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to give you a parable. Here's a parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. So this is a story that Jesus is giving this parable about this concept of what it means to repent. Now this word repent or the phrase repentance, this has a a lot of weight for many of us who've maybe grown up in church or been around church before. I remember growing up in my little town, Winchester, Virginia, that's where I was raised. It's at the northern tip of Virginia, so right right above the Bible Belt, really. Uh, Every year we would have this festival called the Apple Blossom Festival. The Apple Blossom Festival is actually happening right now. It's the first weekend of May every year in the little town of Winchester, Virginia. And people love this festival. People in my hometown love apples. We had the Apple Blossom Festival. Believe it or not, I went to Apple Pie Ridge Elementary School. That was the name of my my elementary. And I I now say elementary school because that's how you guys say it up here. When I go home and say elementary, my older brother Tyler always goes, it's elementary. What's wrong with you? It's elementary. I'm like, okay, Tyler, just calm down over that one. But anyways, so I went to Apple Pie Ridge Elementary. We uh, shopped at the Apple Blossom Mall. We, our town was obsessed with apples, but we had this apple blossom festival every year, and they basically shut down the entire town for this festival. On Fridays, we would all of the schools would close on the Friday of the apple blossom festival. So yesterday, I mean two days ago, all the kids in Winchester, Virginia, they had school off for this beautiful festival where there are parades, there's a carnival, all of these wonderful things that come to town. Well, every year, I would hang out with my friends at this area during the parade called the Midway, and the Midway was a essentially just a place for middle school and high school kids to get in trouble and get into things they shouldn't be getting into. And it was packed with people and there, there was, you know, all of this wonderful food like hot dogs and Italian sausage and funnel cakes. And they would have these carnival games. I remember one year, one of my friends wasted like $300 trying to win this PS3. I was like, dude, this is ridiculous right now. He kept that game where you're throwing the ball into the bin and it would always just bounce out, you know, that one. And he kept doing it over and over again. This, this is just pathetic. But anyways, I'm telling this story for a reason. So we're on the Midway and, and there's every year at the corner of the Midway, there would be this guy standing up on a box with a megaphone. 
And typically his message would be something like this. It's time to repent. He would be yelling about repentance. And typically it was in the vein of, the, of what maybe some of you have heard before, turn or burn. It's time to turn or you will burn. That's essentially what this guy was saying. And he had all these Bible verses printed out. And I believe he was really trying to do a good thing. But in the course of the midway, not many of these kids were paying attention. I would see this guy talking and I would say, yeah, I'm gonna go get a funnel cake right now. And, and every year he was predicting the end of the world, but yet somehow every year we were back there. Um, but and, uh, this, was, this was always his message. He was always talking about repenting and turning and, and embracing and turn or burn. This was his message every year. And some of you, you may have a similar situation with this word repent. Maybe you're familiar with somebody like that. Or maybe when you hear the word repent, what's brought to mind is maybe a youth event that you went to as a kid, maybe a church rally, maybe something that brought a lot of emotions up for you where you felt like, man, I've done a lot of things wrong, so I need to repent and go and, and it brings back tears and all of these memories. There's a lot of weight that comes with this word, repent. And a lot of experiences that can be associated with this word as well. So what exactly does this word mean? Well, when Jesus busted onto the pages of human history 2,000 years ago, the first words out of his mouth in Mark's gospel is that it was time for people to repent. And this word repent actually means this in the Greek, to change your mind. It simply means that, to change your mind. And we see Paul using this word as we'll look at later, and it simply means to change your mind. And so Jesus was starting a revolution of repentance. He was calling those who were far from God to change their mind of what they thought about God, to get them to see God is drawn close to you and you actually need him and I'm God in the flesh and I'm calling you into a new life. That's what he was calling those people to. And then there were the sinner, there, there were the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he was trying to get them to see, hey, you think you have everything figured out, but you don't. And you need to repent as well and realize that because the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of that time were hoping for a political revolution. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen. It's not going to be some military political takeover. I'm starting a spiritual revolution. It's this movement called the kingdom of God. And he was calling them to change their mind and repent and change their expectations of what they were looking for. So this word repentance was actually initially used by Jesus to start a revolution of the soul. It was used to start a revolution and a movement of people to call those who were far from God close to him and to call those who thought they were close to God to a place of humility and realizing that God was doing something different than what they had previously expected. So that's really what this, it means to change your mind. And Jesus uses this word repent after this parable in Luke chapter 15. And so what I want us to do is we're going to walk through this parable, and it's called the road to repentance. Now, I'm just going to give a, a warning. I'm going to move pretty quick today. And some of you are like, oh, snap, he already moves fast. I, 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 I am going to move pretty quick through this today because we have a lot of ground to cover. But I want us to walk through this road to repentance in Luke 15. And then there's some questions I want to answer about repentance that are probably associated with some memories you have from maybe when you were younger or growing up or when you've heard this word before. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today. That's why it's important to take notes. And that's why it's also important to remember that we always put these messages back up on our YouTube channel so you can go listen to them later. But it's time for us all to focus in. So could everyone just take a deep breath with me. I take a deep breath out. 
All right, let's focus. We're gonna jump into this. The road to repentance. So Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 15. It's a parable. It's about a shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep to go after the one. Now this is a metaphorical picture because Jesus is the good shepherd. So Jesus as the good shepherd has come after you and me. We are his sheep. He has pursued each and every one of us. And so the shepherd goes after this lost sheep and then the sheep is brought back in to the flock. And so the first thing I want us to see in this parable is this, in this road to repentance, as we look to understand this concept and idea, is that the shepherd pursues. The shepherd pursues. The shepherd leaves the 99 to pursue and to go after this one sheep who was lost. And Jesus illustrates it and says it this way in Luke 15, 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. So Jesus is giving this image of the shepherd pursuing. This is what's so beautiful about the message of Jesus, is that while every other belief system and structure says, hey, here's what you have to do to get to the higher being, or this is what you have to do to get to the higher power, the, the, the message of Jesus is, look at what God has done to get to you. Jesus pursues. Jesus went from, remember that old song, you came from heaven to earth to show the way? That one, remember that one, any of you? So those of you who didn't grow up in church, that's okay, you didn't hear it, but that's okay. So, so, so this, you came from heaven to earth to show the way. So, so this is what Jesus did. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He went out of his way. He pursued you, he pursued me, and he put on this great pursuit where he died, he, he went to a cross, he came back from the grave, and he, and he said, here's an invitation to life so that you can have life. The shepherd pursues. Jesus was in an eternal dwelling in perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit, because God is three in one. It's really complex, but it's a thing. We can talk about that later. It's called the Trinity. Jesus came out of this eternal dwelling and came to earth in pursuit of each and every one of us. The shepherd pursues. If any of you had, I'm sure all of us know this person, a friend or a family member who you know that if you asked them to help you with something, they would in fact help you but they would never let you forget about the fact that they helped you. You know who I'm talking about? It's that person who you run into them at a family meal five years later, and you're just going through the line, getting your food, and they're like, hey, remember that time five years ago when I helped you move? What a pain in the butt. And you're saying, yeah, remember that time five years ago when you finally got off your butt one time? Remember that? And, you're, and you know, it's just, it, because this is, this is what some people do. That you inconvenience them, and they make sure to not let you forget about it. They make sure that you do not forget about the fact that you once inconvenienced them. These are the kind of people that you don't really want to ask for help if you don't have to. This is, this is what's so unique about the message of Jesus, though, is that Jesus greatly inconvenienced himself on your behalf. Jesus greatly inconvenienced himself on the behalf of each and every one of us. He left his dwelling with the Father and the Spirit, came to earth, was beaten and bruised on a cross, came back from the dead. He was greatly inconvenienced, but he did not feel as if he had been inconvenienced. He does not feel as if he has been inconvenienced. This is a pursuit from him of love. It's a pursuit of life. It's a pursuit of compassion. And it's a pursuit of care. The shepherd goes after the one sheep, which to many people would be how inconvenient to go after this rebellious sheep, but the shepherd did not once feel inconvenienced. This was a pursuit of love. It was a pursuit of compassion. It was a pursuit of care. So the first thing that we need to wrap our minds around when we get into the concept of what it means to repent on the road to repentance is that the shepherd pursues and he does so with joy. 
he pursues you with love. He pursues you with compassion. And while from a human perspective, it appears as if he may have been inconvenienced, he does not feel inconvenienced at all. He wanted to do this. He wanted and wants to pursue you. So the shepherd pursues. The shepherd carries. Luke 15, 5. The shepherd carries. He gets to the sheep and he carries the sheep. I know we're moving fast. Sorry about that. But if you're writing notes, the shepherd carries. Luke 15, 5 says this. When he found it, the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. This is so incredibly remarkable that, that Jesus pursues the sheep and, and the shepherd pursues the sheep and Jesus does because he's the good shepherd. He pursues us and then he's willing to carry. The shepherd is willing to carry and he doesn't do so with a bad attitude. It says that he rejoices in carrying the sheep. Think about that for just a moment. He doesn't get to the sheep and say, you stupid idiot sheep, what were you thinking? You rebellious fool. I can't believe that you would do this. The shepherd doesn't scold the sheep. The shepherd doesn't get to the sheep and say, you are going to die and burn in hell, you moron. He doesn't say that. The shepherd takes this rebellious sheep and picks him up and carries the sheep. This is, the shepherd doesn't exaggerate the situation. We don't read that the shepherd picked up the sheep and then said, oh, this is so difficult. This is so hard. This is just so, oh my goodness, the weight of this. And just to be, give you kind of a, a, a look behind the curtain, I guess is a good way of saying it. Sometimes I have a difficult time getting together. I love, I love other pastors. I love what God has called them to do. And, but sometimes I have a difficult time getting together with certain pastors because it's almost like as soon as I'm done with them, it's the most discouraging thing in the world because they're always talking about this thing called the weight of the ministry. The weight of, oh, ministry is just so hard. Oh yeah, my church is just, you know, my people, they just don't get discipleship. Or my people, you know, they, you know, we've been working on this. It's like, my goodness, you know, you don't have to do this. You know, you can go get another job. You can do something else. Um, and it's just, oh, the way, and they, you know, they love to exam- oh, the, you know, ministry's just the, and don't get me wrong. Sometimes things come up. In ministry, we deal with people. Sometimes things are difficult. We've all dealt with people. We all know it can be difficult sometimes. But I love that I get to be the pastor of New Story Church. This is a blessing, it's a privilege, and it's an honor. And so, and, and, and maybe you're not called to be a pastor, but whatever you're called to do, yes, sometimes you gotta pick up the sheep and there's some weight that comes along with that, but the blessing always far outweighs the burden every single time. There might be a little bit of burden. There might be some weight that comes with it, but the eternal blessing always far outweighs the burden every single time. Let's stop focusing on the burden because you know what that is? That's just making things about you. Oh, look at everything I'm can't Look at everything I'm doing. Look. No, the blessing is saying I'm a part of something bigger. I'm a part of something beyond myself. And you know what? This can be difficult sometimes, but I'm carrying this thing with joy because I'm bringing it to life. The shepherd is bringing the sheep to new life. The shepherd picks up this sheep. He picks up this dirty abandoned, rebellious, lost sheep, and he carries it, but he doesn't just carry it, he carries it with joy. And so wherever you are today, whatever's going on in your life, whatever sin you may feel like you have stepped into, or whatever rebellious way you found yourself in, if you turn to the shepherd, he has been pursuing you this entire time, and he wants to carry you, and he will carry you with joy. With joy. The shepherd pursues, the shepherd carries, and the shepherd celebrates. The shepherd celebrates. 
He pursues the sheep, he carries the sheep, and then he takes the sheep into a celebration. Look at this in Luke 15, verses six through seven. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He brings him, in, he brings him into a party of rejoicing. Then Jesus says this after he's done with the parable. He says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. That's Jesus' like, dagger towards the religious leaders. Oh, you guys think you have it all figured out because you look good on the outside, but there's more celebration happening in heaven over one person who's changed their mind and has is, and is let the shepherd pursue them and carry them. There's more celebration over that than there is over somebody who, yeah, everything looks good on the outside and you're doing all the religious laws and you know, you gotta, you know, I got this in a row and this in a row this way. There, yeah, good for you. There's more rejoicing in heaven over somebody who has now been found by the shepherd and they're brought into a party repentance leads to a celebration. Repentance leads to a party. Repentance leads to rejoicing. And this is, this is, this is the road to repentance. The shepherd pursues, the shepherd carries, and the shepherd celebrates. The shepherd brings us into a place of celebration. This is what happens. And so what, what we have to see with repentance is that what is in this process of repentance, this celebration is, is what is intended with this process. If, if, if repentance doesn't lead to a celebration, well, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's not necessarily the fullness of what repentance is intended for. Repentance brings a celebration. Repentance brings a party. Some of us have wondered before, why do we as humans like to party? Well, that's because Jesus likes to party. And, and Jesus, threw, uh, Jesus says the shepherd threw a great party, and there's a party in heaven over one person who repents. There's a party. There's a celebration. Why? Because repentance is returning to the creator. It's a restoration that's happening from within, and there's a celebration that happens. So that's beautiful, right? There's the shepherd pursues, the shepherd carries, the shepherd celebrates. There's a party. But there's still some questions we have. Because for many of us, repenting or repentance is associated with some very interesting experiences that we've had in the past. I was talking to my friend Nick Darrow about this on Friday at lunch uh, when I was saying to him, you know, there used to be these things where people would gather around and, and burn their CDs and repent, you know, because I wasn't, you know, I bought the Eminem Relapse album or whatever, you know, and people are crying. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to go burn my CD. And, and then, you know, or there might be, or, you know, you were at a youth rally and somebody, somebody was up speaking. They said, some of you in here have foul mouths. And you went forward and you're like, I got to repent and go back to Jesus because I said a few bad words that I didn't tell my parents about it. And then you go out and you're, and you're crying, but then you go home and you use those words again when you're with your friends and you're like, I want to repent, but I feel so bad on the inside. It's like, I'm going to hell now. I'm going to hell because I said the F word. You know? And it's just like, it's like, there's a lot of weight that comes with this word repentance because of the, the, some of the pictures that have been given to us at times of what repentance is. And there's a lot of shame and guilt associated with it. But I don't really think that that's the idea of what Jesus had in mind when he talked about repenting because we see repentance actually leads to a celebration not to misery. 
And so what I want us to do is I'm, we're gonna answer a couple questions. I came up with these questions myself, but I think that they're good questions. And I think that these questions will help us gain a better and, and some greater clarity as to what it truly means to have the spirit of God change our minds and experience what it means to repent. Because the shepherd pursues, the shepherd carries, and the shepherd celebrates. Well, how do we allow this process of repentance, of changing our mind of what we think about God to lead to a celebration and not to misery? So, first question is this. If God is love, why do I feel bad when I repent? That's a good question. If God is love, then why do I feel bad when I repent? Well, the first thing is this. Let's just get it out there. Let's just get it out there. Every single one of us, every single one of us has sinned before. Every single one of us has done something wrong before. I know that that's a really hard idea for some of us to wrestle with. And, you know, but the fact of the reality is, is the matter is, is every single one of us has fallen into sin, whether that be gossip or jealousy or lust or some kind of sexual sin, whatever it is. Every single one of us has sinned before. The only people in this room or watching online who thinks that they have never sinned before, you are what they call a narcissist. Okay? Every single person has sinned before. Let's be honest about that. Here's what sin does. Sin breaks God's heart. Sin breaks our heart. Sin separates us from God and sin separates us from others. So what does that mean? Sometimes when we come to the realization of the sin that we have committed, we feel bad. That's okay. It's called humility. We're not supposed to just, oh, I feel good about myself all the time, you know, because I, I never do anything wrong. No, that's called pride. So there are times when there, there's a weight that comes with our sin, so we don't feel great. Oh, you know what? I fell into sin. And so, and so there's a weight that comes with that. Paul is actually very clear about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that there is a sorrow that can lead to repentance. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Paul's being very human in this moment. He's like, I wrote you this letter, and I know that it cause you sorrow and I felt bad about it, but then I didn't feel so bad about it because the sorrow made you change. He said, I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. That's key right there. The sorrow that comes from God leads us to a repentance that leads us to a place of no regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Here, here's what I want us to see here, is that sorrow can be a catalyst that leads to repentance. But repentance should never end in sorrow. Repentance leads to a place of living without regret. If, if, you, if you started with sorrow, you repented, and you still feel sorrow, chances are what you experienced was not godly repentance, but shame-based, guilt-based manipulation. And it was probably something that somebody said, hey, you should do this just because they wanted to let everybody know, hey, look at what we did here. But, but if, you, if you feel worse after you've repented, or if you feel less secure after you've repented, you weren't turning to God. Somebody was, somebody was bringing in a moment where there was manipulation and shame and guilt. There's, there's conviction that comes with the Holy Spirit for the sin that we have committed. That happens. But repentance should never end in sorrow. Repentance should always end in stability. 
Repentance should never end in instability. It should always end in stability. It ends us in a place of where we are in the hands of Jesus. And it brings life and hope and love and compassion. So we might start with sorrow, but once the Spirit of God has worked in our hearts to say, I'm going to change my mind about that. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to change the direction where I was going. We now feel a new stability. We feel a new security because repentance doesn't push us away from God. It brings us closer to him. We have forgotten Romans chapter 2 where Paul writes this, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The kindness of God leads to repentance, not the critical nature of God. Not the God breathing over your neck saying, I saw you do this, I saw you do that, I saw you do that, I saw you do that. That's not what leads to repentance. Paul says that the kindness of God leads to repentance, which makes sense. Think of the people in your life that you interact with. Do you know somebody who's really extremely critical? They're always picking things apart. They're always making you feel bad about yourself. After a while, you don't want to be close to that person anymore. And you realize that for a while, they had influence in your life that was leading towards a short-term behavior modification, but it wasn't leading towards anything that was better for eternal purposes. God, if if, criticalness leads to short-term, term change. Kindness leads to an eternal change. And so God doesn't come to us. Sometimes the message that that it sounds like we were given was this. You're abhorrent, you're rotten, you're evil, you're gross, you're disgusting, and God saved you not because he wanted to, but because he was obligated to. And those aren't the words that were necessarily used, but that's how it felt. That it wasn't a shepherd pursuing out of love, it was a shepherd pursuing because he was greatly inconvenienced. That's the message that was given many, a lot of the times to us. And that's, that's the weight that we were carrying. But he doesn't want us to carry the weight. He wants to take the weight off of our shoulders. He wants to carry you. He has that in store for you. So instead of this, this criticalness, God draws close to us with kindness. And just as his kindness has changed us for an eternal difference, we then begin to bring the kindness of God to wherever he has placed us. Kindness doesn't mean that you're nice all the time. There's a difference between kindness and niceness. Niceness just means I'm going to be fake with everybody all the time. I'm not saying that if you called someone a nice person that you called them a fake person. I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm just giving a distinction between the two. But, but uh, kindness means that you are willing to invest in somebody for the long term and you will say things that are true. You will say things that are encouraging and affirming, but you'll also say things that are difficult, but you'll say those things that are difficult because you're willing to work with that person through those things not just abandon them. The critic abandons, the kind person draws close. God is not a critic, he is kind, and his kindness is what leads to an eternal change. Repentance can start with sorrow, but it should always end in stability because we're in the hands of the creator. Do I need to repent more than once? It's also a good question. Do I need to repent more than once? The answer to this question is yes and no. Yes and no. Let me start with no. No. You don't need to repent more than once in the sense that you need to be resaved over and 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 over again. No. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, It is finished, guess what that meant? It is finished. We don't need to get saved again and again and again and again and just keep putting him back on the cross. He went there once, it was a good work, he took care of business, and it was good. It was good, and then he came back from the grave. 
We don't have to get saved again and again and again and again and again and again. He took care of it. So in one sense, we don't need to repent more than once because we don't need to get resaved again. Once we're saved, we are in his hand. John 10, 28, we cannot be snatched out of the hand of Jesus. Now, I know for some people, if you listen to me closely, you would know that I, I believe that we have free will, but I also believe that we're secure in Christ. And some people are like, those two things don't go together, but that's okay. We don't have time to get into that right now here at New Story Church. But if you ever want to have a theological or doctrinal conversation, we can have that. But we have other things, more important things to talk about right now. Anyways, back to where we're going. So, so we are in his, we are in his hand once we begin to follow him. So we don't need to get resaved again and again and again. But... There are these things in the church that we call spiritual disciplines. It's just a way to sound really spiritual. It's just a way to sound, you know, like I'm doing something. So spiritual disciplines are simple things like this. Reading the Bible, praying, those are spiritual disciplines. Fasting, that's a spiritual discipline. Serving is a spiritual discipline. I believe that repenting can function as a spiritual discipline in the life of a believer. That it's something that we do not to be resaved again, but it's something that we do to keep us humble. It's something that we do to remind ourselves, oh, you know what? I'm not perfect all the time. I don't always get it right. And sometimes I need to practice repentance and be reminded of the forgiveness and grace that God has given me that is supposed to be transforming me. And sometimes we need to practice the discipline of repentance. Here's what we do sometimes in the church. We have this tendency to, to be at one spot and then swing all the way over to the other side. And I think what happened was for a while in the church, we were in a spot where we talked a lot about sin and people were getting resaved all the time and people felt like they were never secure in Christ. And, and it was always like, we, we gotta do that. And it was almost like the church was, had been very legalistic and dogmatic. And people just felt bad about themselves all the time. They didn't feel better about themselves. They didn't feel better who God was. People were like, we need to change this because people should enjoy being in relationship with God. They shouldn't feel like it's a burden to carry all the time. So like, we're gonna change this. So we moved to the other side. And then it was just, everything was grace. Everything's grace all the time. Everything's always good. Oh, yeah, I can do that. I'm under grace. I'm good right now. And it's like, no, this isn't supposed to just be some casual thing either where we just abuse grace and do whatever we wanna do. We, we go from one extreme to the other. It's usually, usually I say it this way, the truth is in the tension. I'm working in a series on that right now called The Truth is in the Tension. We're gonna talk about extremes in the church and where the middle is, but anyways, we'll get to that later. But, but so there, there's something in the middle. And Paul says something so beautiful in Romans chapter six, where he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. In some of your translations, it might say, may it not be so. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Grace is a gift that is given to us that transforms us from the inside out so that we can experience a new life. You see, grace and repentance are not so that we can experience the lowest level of faith. It's so we can experience the fullness of faith. And when we practice this discipline of repentance, we're constantly reminded of the good gift of grace and kindness and mercy and love that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we can't help but to change. The Holy Spirit will renew our hearts and minds and change our desires so that we say, I can't help but to change because the Spirit of God is moving me in that direction. Grace isn't meant so we live in the lowest bottom, lowest denominator of faith. It's so we can experience the fullness of the life and the faith that God has in store for us. It's so you can live in the new story and the new humanity that God has designed for you.
It's not supposed to be low level. It's supposed to be the fullness of faith. God has a full life in store for you and his grace leads you to that spot. And practicing the spiritual discipline of repentance and repenting continually reminds you of the direction of the life that God has called you to. Let me give you an example. Uh, just a, a few weeks ago, I was out to breakfast with a pastor friend of mine. And we were at Original Pancake House because that's where he likes to go for breakfast. And it's, it's a pretty good place. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad someone, yeah. So we're at Original Pancake House and he had just finished reading my book, Journey into a Greater Concern. And he said that he really liked it, which gives me a good review. But anyways, he said he enjoyed the book. But then he said, hey, uh, I noticed something in chapter three. In chapter three, I tell a story of a, of a difficult ministry experience that I had. And he said to me, based off of that chapter and based off of just some of the conversations I've had with you in the past, because I'm pretty close with this guy, he said, I've noticed that you seem to have a bitterness, or maybe he actually said this, he said, I've noticed that you are jaded towards church authority. And I sat there and I thought about that for a moment. I was like, ah, I was like, you know what? You're right. I have, I have been jaded towards church, towards church authority. Because here, 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 here's where I was coming from. I started to, you know, this is what you do when somebody kind of calls you out on something. You try to start explain, explaining yourself. I'm like, well, you know, here's what happened. Like, I, I was a part of this ministry and that ministry, and it seems like every time I work for somebody, they just lack integrity. I don't, I get it. People make mistakes, but whenever I call them on a mistake, there's always these different excuses of, well, you just don't get it, or you don't have all the information of, oh, there's facts and feelings. You're not using your feelings. You're using, you know, you're not using facts. You're using your feelings. There's always these excuses, and I was just like, you know what, listen, I get it wrong. This person gets it wrong. We all get it wrong, but I just can't stand the inconsistencies of nobody being able to admit when they got it wrong. And he's like, I get that. He looked at me and he said, I understand that, Scott. He said, I understand that. But here, here's my concern. It seems as if that your perspective of church authority has driven you to a spot where you are not grieving it, but you're bitter about it. He actually said, instead of being bitter about your experiences, you should allow the Spirit of God to move you to a spot where you've been grieved by those experiences. And that really sat with me for a few days. And I prayed about it and thought about it. And I thought, he's exactly right. There have been times that based off of my past experiences within the church and my perspective of church leadership and authority, I have led from a place of rebellion and bitterness and not led from a place of, I'm grieved by that, I wanna change that. But we all know this, Bitter people just produce more bitter people. And that doesn't get us anywhere. And so I said, I started praying, Holy Spirit, change my heart, change my mind so that I'm not bitter, but that I would be grieved by that. I repent of this action. I repent of this perspective and please change. Repentance is changing the mind. God, Holy Spirit, change my mind, change my heart about this so that I'm grieved by it and I'm not bitter about it. I didn't in the moment, get on my knees in the middle of original pancake house and rip my shirt and scream, I repent. It wasn't some big dramatic, this is what, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't alone and, and just wasn't able to function for three days because, oh, I just didn't repent. No, guess what? He has forgiven me. He has forgiven you. And forgiveness is what liberates you to live into the future that he has for you. So yes, it's good to repent. It's good to say, God, change my mind, change my heart, change my soul, change my attitude. But once he begins to do that work in you, he has more good work for you to do. We can't just stand, so, so, so sometimes we have to practice that discipline of repentance, not to get resaved, but to keep us humble and to remind us of everything that he's done for us, to remind us that he's pursued us, he's carrying us, and he's celebrating. 
He's celebrating that he's bringing us into his church. He's celebrating that he's bringing us into this purpose. He's celebrating that he's restoring the intention that he has for us. Here's the beautiful thing about repentance. Repentance is not meant to distance us from God. Repentance is meant to draw us close to God. Come on. Repentance is not meant to distance us from God. Repentance is not meant to be this thing that reminds us of the chasm between God and ourselves. If God wanted us to feel that way, if God wanted us to feel distant from him, he wouldn't have sent Jesus for us. He sent Jesus for us because he wants to draw close to us. Repentance reminds us of the opportunity that God has given us to draw close to him. Repentance is an opportunity that God has given us to remind us of this, that God is looking at you and saying, I believe in you. I have a second chance for you. There's something in store for you. Repentance is an opportunity from God to live into the second chance that he has in store for you. We can't continue to look at repentance of, oh, that's that thing that they used to do back in the 70s at Billy Graham Crusades. You know, it's just that old thing that they used to do. No, repentance is not an invitation to the old. Repentance is an invitation into the new. Repentance is an invitation to live into the new story and to the new life and to the new creation that God has in store for you. And so my, my, my challenge for all of us here would be that if you have never embraced life in Christ, that if you've never said, I, I want to give my life to Jesus, I no longer want to be the author of my life. I'm changing my perspective. I want Jesus to be the author of my life. I'm going to give my life to him. He is Lord and Savior. That you would make that decision, that you would repent, that you would change your mind about that way and embrace the new way that Christ has in store for you. Or if you're here today and you're a believer, my challenge to you would be this, is that you would start practicing the spiritual discipline of repentance because that will keep you humble. And people... I can tell you from experience, when I'm, in, when I'm in a prideful position, people don't like being around me. But when I'm in a humble position, people like being around me. <laughs> and, and so this is, it keeps us humble. It keeps us close to God and it keeps us close to the purpose that God has called us to. Repentance is not meant to distance us from God. Repentance is meant to draw us close to him. And the creator wants to be close to you. He's inviting you into the new. He wants to restore the image of God that God has placed inside you and bring you in to be the human that he has called you and designed you to be. We as the church are called to be people who've experienced the kindness of God and bring the kindness of God to wherever it is that he has placed us. And when we make that investment of kindness, wherever it is that he has us, we will begin to see people changing their minds about what they thought about God and experiencing the life and the hope and the restoration that only he has in store for them. Repentance doesn't push us from God. Repentance draws us close to him.